been in this series in Philippians for several months now, and it's called To Live as Christ. And we've been just trucking along, and this week I was supposed to cover four verses, and I'm only covering one verse. And so, let's just be in Philippians, you know what I mean? Like forever. <laughs> um, that wasn't funny, but you guys are so sweet. Um, all right. Today we're covering something that will immediately feel pretty familiar um, and relatively simple. Like when I introduce the verse, is it already up there? Don't, don't, don't change slides yet, I don't want them to know. Um, and, uh, okay. And um, we're gonna talk about something that, that none of us will be like, oh, what's that, what's that word? What's that concept? I've never heard this before. And, and the trick of it is, when we hear something familiar, I feel like our brain can kind of dial back a little bit, like we won't pay as much attention because we already think we're familiar with it. But I think if I went and surveyed everybody in the room and said, hey, will you explain this verse? Like, what does it mean to you and how do you participate in it? How do you like respond to it? How does it play a role in your life? I feel like we get so many different answers or a bunch of I don't knows. And so um, I guess my, my invitation to you today is to like try to hear today with fresh ears as if you haven't heard it before. Um, my hope is that we walk away going, oh, I kinda know how to apply it. And it's, it's this word rejoice, the most Christian word like ever maybe, you know, rejoice. Like when are you ever just saying that with your friends, not in a Christian context, you know? Did you see the Lakers win last night? Man, I was rejoicing, you know? That just doesn't happen. It's a very church word. And growing up, I, I, this word for some reason, I don't know why, this word always left me confused. I didn't really understand what it meant. It's like, I know how to be thankful. Is that rejoicing? You know, I know how to be like optimistic. Is that kind of getting there? Am I getting to the joy? You know, I know how to like get a flat tire and go, you know what, this isn't a big deal, God's good. Is that, am I getting there? Am I flirting with what rejoicing is? I remember uh, when I was really young, I went to First Baptist Church any First Baptist Church people in here? That's the third time I've had people raise their hand. Hey, two of y'all, what's up? And your church didn't have what my First Baptist Church had. So we had this thing called the Living Christmas Tree. And it was this ginormous tree. And this First Baptist Church that I went to had um, the first floor and had balcony. And that tree was taller than the balcony. So if you, even if you were in the balcony, you were looking like up at the tree. It was awesome. And at Christmas time, there was a staircase in it and there was all these rows in the big old tree. And this first Baptist choir would put on their choir garment, you know, white, shiny clothes, makeup, hair done, and they'd climb up into that tree and they'd, they'd just sing Christmas hymns at us for two straight hours. And I was like, I don't know what rejoicing is, but that's gotta be it, you know? Like, that's gotta be what rejoicing is. This is this massive, like, USA Christmas tree. Like, it's so huge. Bright lights, like, hard to even look at it. And a choir smiling, singing about baby Jesus, right? Like, so, like, that's kind of what comes to my head. I don't know what comes to your head. But uh, today, I want to dig into this word from Paul, to rejoice in the Lord always. And really, it's not just a word. It's an instruction, which is super weird. If you're like me and you think about instruction, it's, instructions always run something I don't like love doing but need to do. But then like rejoicing, it sounds kind of good. So Paul's like, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he adds emphasis. He's like, and again I say rejoice. He does that like clap at you thing. 
Like, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna miss what I just did. Hey, rejoice in order. You're like, oh, good, that's good, Paul. I know, you sang, you sang while you were in prison, the earthquake, we gotcha. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 seriously. Rejoice in the Lord always. And so as you listen today to this conversation, I need you to like really lean in and I need you to think about your actual life. And if you're here today and you're in a good season, maybe picture like, a part of your life that wasn't such a good season, that was actually full of heartbreak, and carry that with you today, because rejoicing applies to both. And if you're here today and you're, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're carrying pain, you're hurting, think about a season that was really good and carry both of them into this conversation, because I think Paul has the same instruction for every season, every circumstance, which is to rejoice. And so before I keep going, I wanna read Philippians 4, verse four. It's very short, so I'm gonna ask someone to read it out loud for us. It'll take you seven seconds. Um, would someone be willing to read Philippians 4.4 4 out loud for us? Hey. I got it. Yeah, come on, Tay. <laughs> rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Thanks, Tay. Um, so let's dig in. You guys ready? You here? Yeah. Okay, lean in. Here we go. So rejoice in the Lord always. All right, so we get that, always, no matter what. No matter what is happening, no matter when it's happening, no matter where you are, whatever circumstance is surrounding you, rejoice. I've done this a few times when we walk through Philippians. I've, I've reminded us to like think about who's writing the letter. The more you think about who's writing the words and what his lived experience was like, the more potent the words seem to be. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what, whatever season you're in. Let's think about Paul for a second in the seasons he's been in, okay? So first of all, Paul met Jesus face to face, and he heard Jesus say his name. Super sick stuff. You ever been in prayer and been like, I don't wanna full out ask for it, but Jesus, if you would just speak out loud, it feels like that'd fix a lot. You know, like, if I could just hear you talk to me, you know, faith is not by sight, but like, if you did want to sit down right here and talk to me, it just feels like I'd, my faith would just, you know, go up just a little bit at least. I'm like, Paul got to do that. How sick is that? He knows what Jesus sounds like. If Paul was here, I'd be like, hey, does it sound like this? And then Paul would say, no, higher, no, lower. <laughs> you know, that's so cool. I went too far. He knows what it's like to feel the love and the warmth and the acceptance of a Christian community. Like, the birth of the church happened, and then Paul was converted, and he got to watch Christians that he probably once threw in jail. He's like, hey, are you that one guy? He's like, yeah, I am that one guy. I threw you in jail. Dude, welcome to the family, you know? He got to experience that. What amazing moments in his life. I was listening to a sermon on Philippians 4, and the preacher pointed out that, um, that Paul's like president at the time was Nero. And if I had to guess in the last seven years, you had at least one president that you weren't a big fan of. But the pastor reminded us that Paul's president was Nero, and he used to cover Christians in tar and light them on fire to light his palace. That was the reigning authority in Paul's day. We know that Paul's been beaten multiple times. He's been shipwrecked. He doesn't have one place he calls home. He travels here and there at all times. Maybe here's Philippi, maybe there is prison. You know, he's always moving around. He doesn't have a big group of friends. Everywhere Paul goes, he's misunderstood by at least somebody. 
if not the majority of the people. You ever been at a lunch table or out with friends at night? There's four or six of y'all, I don't know, and you say a comment and then you immediately realize you are in the minority of your opinion. In fact, you are alone on an island as the others look at you and go, what, what, can you say that, run that back? How fast do you try to like backpedal and like soften the blow? Wait, what'd you say about Taylor Swift? You don't like her? What, can you bring that back? All the national artists are like, what'd you say, you know? Not a Taylor Swift audience, me neither. <laughs> so the awkwardness I just felt, that was basically Paul's hobby. Everywhere he went, bringing this message no one had heard before, everything he said, going against anyone's religion that they had before Paul started saying things. Like, think about how often he felt awkward or misunderstood. People felt confused by him, threatened by him, frustrated by him. So even when he wasn't getting beaten up or thrown in prison or worshiping with the church, he was probably in some kind of awkward social situation. So really, he's seen it all. And as he looks back on his story, and he thinks back on being completely devastated, on being lost, on seeing souls come to life, on seeing the miraculous hand of God, the whole spectrum. And he thinks about the Philippian church as they follow Jesus in a hostile, word, a hostile world. And he says to them, rejoice always. I gotta find this scripture. He says a few verses later, I know how to be brought high. I know how to be brought low. I know how to have little and I know how to abound. He goes, I've seen it all. And here's my instruction to you. Rejoice in the Lord always. And it's making me ask, why is this so important to Paul? Like, think about it. He's got like a feather pen. Every word is important. Everything needs to carry weight. And this is something that mattered to him. This wasn't like a personal value or personal preference thing. You know, if it's me, I might go, hey, look, this has helped me. Take it or leave it. Rejoice. You know, I think it'll help you. But Paul's like, no, this isn't a personal thing. I'm telling you, this needs to be a part of your everyday experience as you follow Jesus. It's not just a feel good, rejoice. We're good, right? Come on, smile, it's church, you know? It's like, he's like, no, 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 seriously. Like, as you experience life, highs, lows, heights, depths, rejoice, like, at all times. So let's break down what rejoice means. Let's try to, like, understand why this is so important, and then we'll try to get practical. How can we do this in our real life? So I made up my own little definition for rejoice, but it's, it's definitely not, like, original. But here's, here's what I got. Rejoicing is celebrating that the war is won, regardless of how the battle is going. Like in the Christian sense, I think that's a really simple way to understanding what rejoicing is. Like in the game of life, you might be winning in this moment, you might feel like you're losing, but the hope of Jesus is that he's won the war, that God has legitimately conquered sin and death, that that's happened, and that your future destiny is in the presence of God himself. That's a real thing. And rejoicing is the act of like dwelling on that reality. God's won the war, sin and death has been conquered and my future destiny is with Jesus. That's the truest thing about me. And this has to supersede circumstance. I mean, it does, it supersedes all circumstances because rejoicing is rooted in eternity and our circumstances are temporary, right? And so it has to dictate how we process our situation. It's the lens through which 
we see to be rooted in this, not just to believe this is true, to think this is true, oh yeah, I'm gonna be with Jesus, but to anchor our spirits into it, to, to anchor our emotional and our mental health into the act of rejoicing. And there's a few scriptures that come to my mind here. There's this moment in Nehemiah chapter eight. A guy named Nehemiah, he's from Jerusalem, but Jerusalem's been dismantled. Their walls have been torn down and a foreign kingdom has come and taken their people out of Jerusalem and the people of Israel are exiles. And Nehemiah finds favor with this foreign king and gets permission to rebuild his hometown and to bring exiles back to their hometown. To make this real, I mean, just picture living in Nashville and a foreign government attacks the city, bombs us, buildings on fire, smoke rising to the sky, us being forced to evacuate the city, being brought to a foreign land, foreign language, foreign culture, foreign values, everything abnormal. Now picture some years later, you're brought back. It's this really crazy moment because everything's familiar. There's familiar sights, familiar smells, but there's broken walls and broken hearts and you're just trying to catch up with everything that's been going on. And there's this moment in Nehemiah where they gather the people together and they start reading scripture and worshiping God. And it says that the people begin to weep. It doesn't say what provoked them to weep, but it's kind of implied. A bunch of exiles are back in their hometown in a city that's been torn down. And they gather once again. Who knows how long it had been since they'd gather as one people and had someone read the holy word of God. And they're being reminded of the God that they love and worship. Everything's familiar, but so much has changed. And in this moment, Nehemiah sees them grieving and he says, stop your grieving. He doesn't say ignore your grieving. He doesn't say forget about grieving for the rest of your life. But he says, for today, pause your grieving and rejoice in the Lord. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So he looks at a grieving people and he says, I'm giving you permission to press pause on all the valid things that are in fact breaking your heart as they should be. But for today, I want you to feast your eyes on the Lord and rejoice in him. As so much has changed in your life, God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. Reflect on the I am, the God that is here, the God that delivered you from Egypt. It reminds me of that 2 Corinthians passage where Jesus tells Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. It's a profound mystery, but there's something about choosing to rejoice in the midst of weakness that produces legitimate and robust strength. And so in this story in Nehemiah, we're reminded that in our seasons of weakness, brokenness, trauma, devastation, that you have permission, perhaps instruction, to press pause on contemplating, dealing with, thinking about, revolving around the pain and trauma in your life, and just for a moment, feast your eyes on the Lord, the God that is here and near and that who your future destiny lies with. Just remind of Luke chapter 10. It says that Jesus is rejoicing because God's beginning to reveal himself to people that 
the Pharisees wouldn't have predicted. Like the unlikely people are hearing the word of God and receiving Jesus. And Jesus begins rejoicing. And he says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and they did not see it and to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. So what's happening? Jesus is a homeless nomad. Some people like him. Some people hate him. Some people want to get dinner. Some people want to crucify him. But what's making Jesus rejoice? It's not his circumstances. He's seeing God touch down in souls. The kingdom of God is here. People are understanding the Messiah has come and they're receiving Jesus. He goes, this is where our source of rejoicing comes from. This happens again in Acts 13. Disciples preaching the gospel, Jewish disciples preaching the gospel to Gentiles, a thing that they did not think they would do in their life. And Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit. What's going on in the disciples' life? They're just like Jesus. Some people like him, some people hate him. Some people want to grab dinner, some people want to kill him. Like, same thing, but they're rejoicing. Why? The Holy Spirit's touched down. The God of yesterday, today, tomorrow. They know we're going to stand before Christ, and these people receiving Jesus, we're going to be with you, and that is their source of rejoicing. Tim Mackey says in his Bible Project video on joy, he says, when you believe that Christ conquered death, joy becomes reasonable. Like, when you believe this, right, when you really believe it, it actually makes logical sense in whatever season you're in to rejoice in Christ's life and your future destiny. And so for us, rejoicing is not ignoring circumstance, but rejoicing is infusing circumstance. Rejoicing is a part of whatever circumstance, which is a really important detail. Because I think, I don't think anyone like intended to give me this, but my understanding of rejoicing was, hey, pretend like nothing's wrong and smile. God's good, <laughs> you know? But I think as I was thinking about that Nehemiah passage and some passages I'm gonna say in a, in, a, in a little bit, this is not an invitation to like smile and pretend like nothing's wrong. If we do that, that's actually kind of a cheap practice. Like if we just take on this like, I'm just gonna ignore all the hard and hurtful things and pretend like it's all good. That's more of a placebo than a practice, right? In fact, if you've ever been around someone who, it seems like they aren't aware that there's hurtful things in their life, in the world, it almost feels, you feel a distance from them, don't you? You're like, do you know? Hey, do you know that stuff goes wrong? <laughs> and there's not this invitation to rejoice in a way that ignores that things go wrong. In fact, like a rejoicing that is actually fully aware of what's going on, that's a biblical rejoicing. That's a wholehearted rejoicing that produces maturity and steadfastness and wisdom and humility. And so what can this look like for us? To be a people that learn how to rejoice, that know how to rejoice. I wanna to go to the extremes. I wanna visit our mountaintop moment and then our valley moment. So if this is you and you're on a mountaintop moment, I wanna share a story that, that Jesus has with his disciples because his disciples experienced something unbelievable. And then Jesus sort of Jesus jukes them immediately. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72, tells them to go do some stuff, you know, heal some people, cast out some demons. And in my head, when Jesus gives them the instruction, you know, go cast out demons, they're like, sure, we'll go do it. 
I'm sure this is gonna work. <laughs> you know, like, if you're not here, I'm sure a miracle's gonna happen. Like, I just don't think they believe that. So they go out and they do it, and it works. I'm sure they're like looking at their hands like, where did that come from, you know? They come back to Jesus, and they're like, my, in my head, the first word that comes out of their mouth is the Aramaic word for dude. Like, it worked. Like, and they're hyped up. They're like, Jesus, I, I saw a demon leave a dude. I wasn't even convinced demons were real, but I saw a demon leave his body. Was that you? Oh my gosh. And they're like hyped up, dapping each other up, fist bumping. This is what Jesus says back to them immediately. Hey, I've given you authority to tread on the serpent and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. And they're like, we know, it's crazy. (laughs) Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Man, don't you love getting taught lessons when everything's going right? That's a prime time to learn lessons because your feelings aren't even hurt. You're just like, you're right. (laughs) This is a great day. Demons left and I need to rejoice because of eternity and not because of that. Sounds good, you know? But I thought about Jesus going, man, I'm gonna teach you how to anchor your joy in eternity in your highlights because he knows life's gonna get really hard and you're gonna need this lesson in that moment. Like, don't stake your joy in that demon leaving. There's gonna be a moment where you forget to pray, where your heart's not in the right spot, and that demon's not going anywhere. It's like, where's your identity then? Rejoice that God's gonna be with you forever. So if you're not in a good season, or so if you're in a good season, there's nothing to complain about. Job's going well. She said yes to the date. The date went well, you know? Like, life's looking good. You just got a job, you're staying in Nashville. Like, everything's just going kind of good. Good habits, good calendar, good finances, good, good, good. This is a prime opportunity for you to go, God, in this season, I might be tempted to look for joy in the earthly circumstance. And to oddly enough, these things going well, I almost can neglect you. Anyone else like that? When it's going kind of good, you're like, nah, I'll talk to you when I need you. It's going pretty good. Appreciate it, you know? And you just go, no, no, no. In your best seasons, find ways to come to me to embrace, I'm the God of yesterday, today, forever. I'm near, I'm with you, and your future destiny is with me in heaven, and find your joy there in the best of seasons. This also includes your heartbreaking seasons. In 2 Corinthians chapter six, Paul uh, pens this phrase. He says that he is full of sorrow, yet rejoicing. This is the mark of Christian maturity in the Lord is to know that sorrow and rejoicing are not mutually exclusive, and in fact, they should always hold hands. That if sorrow is present, rejoicing should be present, because here's the reality. Sorrow actually leaves us with a few options. Whenever you feel sorrow, you're tempted to neglect it, pretend it's not there. I feel like when things bring me sorrow, it takes me six months to realize, I think that hurt my feelings. That's, I think I've been living out of grief this whole time and I just figured it out. You know, it's like when you're not really aware of how your soul communicates, you can just neglect sorrow. Maybe your tendency is to numb the pain when you feel sorrow. Immerse yourself in your work or the new TV show or dessert. All of those are mine. (laughs) I don't know what you do to numb the pain, but I think a biblical rejoicing says embrace the pain. Feel the pain. 
Lean into the pain and rejoice with a broken heart. I know I've told this story several times. It was one of the biggest moments in my life, so here we go again. But when my wife got in her car accident in 2020, and she had just gotten released from the ICU after a few days, and I had a mentor that had trained me to periodically get away to worship God for hours on end, like for an extended time worship the Lord. That is so good for the soul. And for some reason, God's grace, I guess, like in that moment, Leah's recovering from multiple surgeries. Her mom's here so I can leave the house without being worried about her safety. And so I'm like, I need to get away and I need to just go worship. And I don't need to pray for, I definitely prayed for Leah and her healing and stuff, but in this moment, it wasn't like a pray for healing moment or a ask God why moment, it was just worship the Lord. And I'm bringing up a pretty profound mystery, how like when you're holding grief so heavily and you choose through a broken heart, tear-filled eyes, gritted teeth to worship God, to rejoice in who he is, in your future destiny, in the eternal reality of God, there is a strength there. I was talking to a friend recently, somewhat recently, I'll keep that part vague, but they were sharing that life has been really dark. Um, and I, I wanna stay vague out of just respect, even though this is all like anonymous right now. So just trust me. Childhood was pretty dark, and recent moments have been very dark, and it's brought them to the end of themselves. And rejoicing in the most devastating nights where sleep wasn't an option and crying wouldn't stop. And at times it felt like maybe leaving this earth is my best bet. They expressed to me that how somehow they felt the spirit of God saying, worship, praise my name, worship me, rejoice. And this is their story that they told me, not knowing that I was preaching on any of this. Like, it saved my life. Learning how to rejoice in the Lord with a completely broken heart. And the only light at the end of the tunnel is Jesus himself and seeing him face to face. And I, what I'm speaking to right here is very nuanced. We're all aware of our traumas and our pains, but I think I think the Bible does want to give you permission to go, hey, if you're hurting, if you're frustrated, if you're in a dark place and you don't see a way out, that's not all you are. That's not the only truth about who you are. Like son or daughter of God, God is here, yesterday, today, forever. He is alive and your future destiny is with him in perfection. And you have permission and instruction to rejoice in that. And this aspect of rejoicing, when your heart is broken, when if I was like, hey, name three things you're thankful for and you're still at zero, like you're just in that kind of a headspace. Making sense of how rejoicing is a source of strength and a source of healing, it's never gonna work in theory. In fact, it's probably just a little insulting in theory. Like, cool, Josh, but you don't know what I'm going through. I hear you, but what I'm going through. 
But it really is that Peter walking on water moment. Like, hey, look, walking on water will never make sense in theory. Everyone's just a dum-dum if we're talking about it just like this. Until you are walking on the water and then you feel it. The healing that comes in rejoicing, the strength that is given to you from rejoicing in the Lord and who he is, that is the strength that you feel only when you do it. It's hard in theory, and so my encouragement to you, if you're that person going, man, it took courage just to step out the front door today, it took courage just to put clothes on and pretend like life goes on today, man, I encourage you, rejoice, lean in. So what does this look like day to day? To put this into practice, I got one more story for you. I feel like I'm telling like 17 stories today. Hopefully you're hearing the sermon in this. On Wednesday, I'm at Turnip Truck. If you know, you know. I like Turnip Truck. You guys know. Working away. Dude, I have not been sleeping. Our family's been battling sickness for like 20 straight days. It's, it's, it's hard, man. It's been hard out here raising a newborn. It's fine. But it was just, you know, one of those weeks where every day I'm like, someone sit down and let me complain for 45 minutes. I got some stuff, you know? And then I sit down, open my laptop because I've got to write a sermon. I'm in the perfect spirit. And uh, I open my laptop and I'm like, all right, here we go, baby. And then I just start typing out the verse on my notes, rejoice in the Lord. You know how annoying that verse was? Oh, really, Paul? You know, it's just I was like, like, stop talking. It was, it was, ugh, it was cringy. And so I'm like, oh, and that's, hey, that's your pastor. I'm like, try, that's me trying to write a sermon. I'm like, oh. and I really feel the Lord say something like, are you really going to write this sermon instead of live this sermon right now? Because it was so obvious, like, I'm talking to you, dude. Look at you. So frustrated so tired, so ready to complain, just need someone else that hates life so we can commiserate together, you know, like, how am I going to do this? And I, I really did. I was like, I cannot in good conscience write this stupid teaching. And I went to my car and I just was like, all right, God, here I am back in that turn up parking lot where apparently I pray a lot. <laughs> and uh, I just start going, all right, Father, you are so outside of this moment that I'm trapped in. And just that first little bit, I'm just like feeling relief. Oh, yeah. You're eternal. This is temporary. Already good news because I'm going to need this to be temporary. (laughs) Oh, man. I love you for real. I'm so thankful you exist. I'm so thankful for our relationship, God. Oh, I love you. I love prayer. Just start rejoicing. And then rejoicing actually sneakily kind of bleeds into gratitude, which perhaps that's why Paul in the next few verses is going to say, like, with thankfulness, let your prayer. But, like, I start just thanking the Lord. And then, of course, you guys know me. I'm tired and I'm already an emotional guy, so I'm weeping. (laughs) And I'm thrilled. And it was like in 10 minutes, it's like, what happened? Like, what pill did I take? Like, all of a sudden, I'm just like, man, God, I'm... I'm so weak, but man, you are so good, for real. I'm not promising it always works that cleanly, okay? So don't get mad at me if it doesn't. (laughs) Just keep trying, keep leaning. 
But it was such an interesting thing. Like my, my rejoicing leads to gratitude. My gratitude led to tears. And that whole thing was just wind in my sails. And every meeting was different from the rest of that day on. Like it just changed how I was seeing life. And the only thing that happened was I just recognized, God, you're outside of this moment. And my eternity's with you. And come hell or high water, like you're my Lord. And you, you've got my side. You've got my back. You're on my side. I'm so thankful. And so much of this is like mysterious for you. You're gonna have to go write your own story here. I just gave you the Joshua Soloway version and it really hits home for me. But what does it look like for you in the context of your commute to work or when you lay your head in bed at night or when you wake up early in the morning? Sometime at the start, in the middle or at the end of your day to take moments to like go, I'm gonna anchor my spirit in rejoicing. I'm gonna remember who God is that he's the I am, that has been, that is, that will always be, that's with me now, and my future destiny lies with him. And so for communion, I wanted to invite you to just to contemplate what's God stirring in your heart right now about rejoicing? Maybe it's on two different levels. Like one, like your understanding of what rejoicing is, like has your definition of rejoicing shifted at all today? Or maybe it's the same definition and that maybe there's a touch more depth Maybe the power in today's conversation is all in the application, and this is you going, where am I gonna find my moments to root my spirit in biblical rejoicing, in God's reality, heavenly perspective? And so I'm gonna invite you to take like two minutes just to ponder for yourself, and then in about two or three minutes, I'm gonna come up, and then we're gonna, we're gonna circle up and share some stuff. Um, so take a few minutes. What is on your mind in light of this passage? I would invite you to pull out a pen and paper, to pull out a phone, to write down any notes, any thoughts that are coming to mind as we think about rejoicing.